Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, let's go ahead and get this party started. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's podcast of The Miller Frost Show. I am your host, America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual. You can also call me Uncle Lindsay, but I am Miller Frost, here as always with white boy Malcolm X, who seems to be in, I would say, a bit of a post-birthday celebration funk, but he's here. He showed up. You doing okay over there? I'm doing fine. I'm probably not as hungover as you are, but, you know, it's birthday party is a party, but I don't party like I used to at at my age. We do have uh, some good stories for you. I was actually, for you, White Boy Malcolm X, I was going to do or attempt our third gayest show ever, and what I mean by that is all we do is put the gay stories first, but I I think it's kind of a... um, it's kind of a lackluster pile on that front today. We'll try. I'm going to, I actually, just for you, I put it forward just for you. So we're going to, we're going to start with that first, except I do have a follow-up story because was it last week or the week before? I know it was in the race pile, but Citibank had declared itself a racist institution or something like that. And they were going to, they're going to buy their way out of it by spending hundreds of millions of dollars and, and doing all sorts of stuff to kind of basically little bit here, a little bit there to all the certain community groups that would ordinarily call them racist, but now they are going to be Citibank's biggest champions. But I got my white privilege card in. My my new Citibank card came in. And so now I have I have a new fresh... This thing is like titanium or something. It's, you can't even... I t- tried to cut the old one up with the scissors. It won't cut. They have tripled down on the white privilege, making this card as heavy and as powerful as it is. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Man punched repeatedly called anti-gay slur while dancing for TikTok. And I don't know about you folks, but anyone who does a TikTok video probably deserves to get punched. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll be I'll be like a liberal. I'm you know like a liberal who you know who threatens the Trump family. I I'm just joking, just joking. Or or I could also just say that I made that joke to bring awareness to um, systemic discrimination, oppression, whatever they usually say. Here's the story. A man was dancing with a female friend for a TikTok video in Lower Manhattan on Saturday when an unknown assailant called him a homophobic slur and punched him repeatedly in the head. I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry. I just, I, every time I think of a TikTok video, I think of that that flossing dance, that little twerp did. And that's what I, whenever I think of someone dancing on TikTok, that's all I think. And I just want to punch them myself. White Boy Malcolm X, what do you think the homophobic slur was? That, that I was going to say, yeah, the uh, the F word, um, probably. <laughs> Queer just doesn't do it anymore, does it? 
The assailant fled on foot, and the New York Police Department's Hate Crimes Unit is investigating the incident as a bias crime, according to a local TV station. The victim, 24, was making the video on Broad Street in the Financial District at approximately 11.30 p.m. when he was attacked. Like I always say, nothing good comes from being out around midnight. He suffered a laceration on his lip in the assault. The assailant is described as a male, white, with blonde hair, 5'9 to 5'10, 200 pounds, last seen wearing a white long-sleeve shirt, black shorts, and black sneakers, according to WABC. And yes, that's the only time you will ever see a possible and alleged criminal's race, is if they're white. <laughs> Seriously, that is the only time you ever see that in a news article. They will never say black or latinx or what have you. They will say, they will say white, though. Sarah Paulson has opened up about the ageist criticism of her relationship with Holland Taylor. The Ratchet star, 45, has been in a happy and thriving relationship with legally blonde actress Holland Taylor, 77, for six years. Whoa. In an interview with Roxanne Gay for Harper's Bazaar, Paulson spoke about people's adverse reactions to the 32-year age gap relationship. Paulson said, To feel that I belong to anyone other than a person I would like to belong to, like Holland or my dog or my best friend or my sister, a bunch of strangers claiming me as their own feels a little confusing. Since I'm not an expert at figuring out how to move around it, I end up giving more than I want to sometimes. She suggested that people are preoccupied with the age gap due to an unwillingness to confront mortality, adding our own ageist thinking and the idea that to be old is to cease to have any desire. The American Horror Story star also had a clear message for fans who deride Taylor. Anybody says anything about any person I love in a way that is disrespectful or cruel, and I want to cut a bitch. Paulson previously broached the subject in a 2016 interview with the New York Times, explaining she fell head over heels for Taylor because she is, quote, probably the most exquisitely beautiful woman I've ever seen, unquote. She added, if my life choices have been predicated based on what was expected of me from a community on either side, that's going to make me feel really straightjacketed, and I don't want to feel that. Well, good for her, I guess. No, I, seriously, I cannot imagine being a celebrity and living with this bunch of losers living in their parents' basements, uh, you know, commenting. Well, I'm not in my parents' basement. <laughs> and I'm not commenting. I mean, on stuff like this. I mean, that's kind of silly. I mean, who gives, who gives a crap if they're 32 years, years in age difference? That doesn't bother me in the least. You know, if she says something stupid and political, then yes, I would, of course I would rail on her. But, you know, on this, I'm good for her. I think she's happy. Hey, you and I, my friend, are sitting here middle-aged and single, so what do we know about it? Okay, on to the next story. Harry Potter video game boss insists J.K. Rowling has the right to express her opinions on trans people. <gasps> Heavens no. Oh, and oh, speaking of which, the App Store on, on Apple, you know, I know for a fact that Tim Cook is not a good gay. Yeah, yes, the guy that runs Apple, Tim Cook, yes. He is not a good gay, and you know how I know this? Because the App Store recommended to me, speaking of J.K. Rowling, who the trans community just whips on every week, the App Store recommended to me Harry Potter puzzles and spells. If, you, if Tim Cook were a good gay, he would have all that crap ripped out of the App Store, root and branch, but clearly he doesn't. The president of Warner Brothers Games, the publishers behind the upcoming big-budget open-world Harry Potter video game, again written by a vicious transphobe, allegedly said that J.K. Rowling, that's the, uh, the vicious transphobe, has the right to hold her opinions on trans rights. 
This guy's a fool. Bosses behind the video game quickly sought to distance themselves, but WB Games president David Hadid allegedly addressed staffers' concerns about Hogwarts Legacy and Rowling's explosive comments on trans people becoming tangled during a questions-and-answers session Wednesday. According to a video seen by Bloomberg journalist Jason Schreier, Hadid said, quote, while J.K. Rowling is the creator of Harry Potter, and she's also, folks, a vicious transphobe, if you didn't know that, <laughs> and we are bringing that world to life with the power of Portkey, a bewitched object that can transport people, in many places, she's a private citizen also. And that means she's entitled to express her personal opinion on social media. I may not agree with her, and I might not agree with her stance on a range of topics, but I can agree she has the right to hold her opinions. That man is a fool. Such personal opinions held by the British author are ones considered by actual trans people as well as leading activists as quote-unquote dangerous, often being more a series of freewheeling and inflamed views cobbled together on sprawling blog posts and Twitter threads. Schreier added that later in the questions and answers session, Hadid handled a question around the company's approach to diversity. In response, he said that the company is working with LGBT plus rights organizations. I wonder how much that's going to cost them. And that, quote, he spent an hour and a half talking to the director of Transmedia Representation at GLAD, probably negotiating the donation to GLAD. Harry Potter fans who have struggled to reimagine the Wizarding World without its creator, who, if you don't know, is a vicious, vicious transphobe, were left unimpressed with Haddad's alleged comments while others said they would boycott it. Question for you, White Boy Malcolm X. How long before WB Games president David Haddad caves? A week. You think a week? I, I don't even think it's a week. I think a week from today, you and I are going to be sitting here reading an article. Well, I'm going to be sitting here reading an article that WB Games president David Haddad has resigned or has done a complete 180. I mean, the transgender bullies are not going to have any of this whole, you know, this whole thing about she has the right to hold her own business. <laughs> That is nonsense in their world. They, you have a right to hold their opinions, and that's that's all they're gonna that's all they're gonna listen to. One week, no, mm -mm. not happening. Two, three days. This is an upbeat story, white boy. <laughs> you can't make honest to God, folks. You cannot make this headline up. Transgender Satanist anarchist wins Republican County Sheriff nomination on a f the police platform. Who said that Republicans are transphobic? They literally just put this woman on the ballot. A transgender Satanist anarchist whose campaign slogan was F the police has secured the Republican nomination for county sheriff in, no folks, not Florida, not Louisiana, New Hampshire, which is, <laughs> should I say this as a Massachusetts resident? Yes, of course I will. Uh, New Hampshire, folks, is the Florida of New England. I'll just leave it at that. Or... Because I know my summit mistress is listening, the Louisiana of, of New England. Aria DeMezzo was shocked when she won the GOP primary for county sheriff in Cheshire County, New Hampshire, with thousands of Republican votes. DeMezzo, founder of the Reformed Satanic Church, previously ran for county sheriff in 2018 as a libertarian candidate. And that reminds me, white boy Malcolm X, if he has his own church, I wonder if Remember that dopey, hysterical millennial chick from from last week? And when, when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, it pushed her to join the Satanic Temple. Folks, I'm not making that up. You can listen to last week's broadcast. It was I don't have the article in front of me, but 
I remember that. That 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 much I remember. She was just a hysterical. No. Yes, she was a hysterical millennial wannabe. She was like early 40s, and we were not having her in the Gen X tribe. She's not cool enough to be Gen X. She's a, She sounds like a millennial anyway. So we threw her ass out, and we, we called her an honorary millennial. That I also remember. But she, she, she joined the Satanic Church. <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying forced her to Satan. And so this lady has her own Satanic Church. I wonder how many of these people <laughs> have joined since Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Anyway, let's pick the story back up. But when she found out that the previous Republican nominee was no longer running, she joined the Republican Party with two days to spare before the candidate deadline. Is she self-loathing? <laughs> I think she is. <laughs> Explaining her surprise victory in a blog post, DeMezzo wrote, I went into it expecting that I would lose the primary to a writing candidate because I didn't think that so many voters were just completely and totally oblivious about who they were voting for. <laughs> Aria... You're in New Hampshire. What do you expect? Because the fact is that you didn't bother. You trusted the system. You trusted the establishment. You trusted the party. You felt safe. You were sure that there must be some mechanisms in place to prevent that from occurring exactly what just occurred. Your anger is misplaced if you direct it at me. Please listen. Your anger is with the system that has lied to you. Your anger is with the system that convinced you to believe in it, trust in it, and have faith in it when it is completely and utterly broken. Oh, no. She she, she goes on. She goes on. Listen to this. More than 4,000 people went into the voting booth this week, and they all filled in the circle by my name despite knowing absolutely nothing about the person they were nominating to the most powerful law enforcement position in the county. That's a level of recklessness of which any decent human being should be ashamed. Oh, man. I am not even going to finish reading that. Good for her, I guess. You know, the question I have, why would is now she is running her democratic opponent is eli rivera and he is a five-term incumbent so chances are he'll probably win right but what happens if she wins because the question i have is what is black lives matter gonna do because we all know folks that cops are inherently racist you know aria is white and we know from white fragility that she's now a double racist because not only she's white but she's a white cop so she's like double racist but but she's transgender and you know folks that in the pecking order of victimhood transgender beats black i'm sorry yes that's true white boy malcolm x it's absolutely and if they go after her i guarantee to you the transgender community is going to have none of that folks they are not going to they're not going to put up with any of that yeah you call anyone a racist but a transgender Remember White Boy Malcolm X, the, the story in, in L.A., and that was probably, what, a month ago. Black-on-black crime never matters, but when the black person, the black victim is transgender, then that's, that's when black-on-black crime matters. This is the only time that, you know, Black Lives Matter is not going to be able to call the racist white pig a racist white pig because it's trans, she's transgender, and you can't say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll take that bet with you. One more transgender story for you, White Boy Malcolm X, and this is from Forbes. Between Amy Coney Barrett and Donald Trump, trans Americans foresee their doom. And this is from Dawn Ennis. As U.S. Appeals Court judge Amy Coney Barrett towards the U.S. Capitol. And folks, if you don't know who Amy Coney Barrett is, she's that she's that nerdy Catholic. Where the, uh, what did um, Diane Feinstein say about her? The the force, not the force, the uh, the Thank you. The dogma, 
lives deep within you or something like that. I don't know what the hell she said, but anyway, that's who Amy Coney Barrett is and visits with U.S. senators on the Judiciary Committee who will vote on her nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court. Transgender Americans are worried about another us, ourselves. Full disclosure, I am one of them. My opinion isn't the point, however. Here's a small sample of how trans people and our allies are reacting to the president's nomination of Coney Barrett, her anticipated confirmation, and the chances that Donald J. Trump will be re-elected president. Not everyone, of course, is seeing doom and gloom, and people who are not trans but still part of the community weighed in as well. LGBTQ advocacy groups have come out swinging against Coney Barrett, including the Human Rights Campaign, which is my favorite professional gay organization, by the way, which called her a quote-unquote absolute threat to LGBTQ rights. She's not even a marginal threat. She's an absolute threat. Coney Barrett says Title IX protections do not extend to transgender Americans. And if you don't know what Title IX protections are, folks, that's where... You can pick your bathroom, and that is where transgender girls in high school can join all the girls' sports teams and clean up and win all the awards, and you're not allowed to say a word about it. That's what Title IX is, claiming it's a strain on the text to reach that interpretation. And this is a quote from Amy Coney Barrett, the nutty Catholic with the dogma living deep within her. When Title IX was enacted, it's pretty clear that no one, including the Congress that enacted that statute, would have dreamed of that result at that time. Maybe things have changed so that we should change Title IX. Maybe those arguing in favor of this kind of transgender bathroom access are right. That's a public policy debate to have. But it does seem to strain the text of the statute to say that Title IX demands it. <gasps> My heavens. I don't think I've read worse hate speech on this show, White Boy Malcolm X. That woman is foul. How dare she say that? <laughs> oh, mercy. Anyway. According to trans journalist Caitlin Burns, writing in Vox, oh God, you know what you're going to get with Vox, those remarks came during a lecture, and that, those aren't remarks, that's, that's this vile hate speech she gave at Jacksonville University ahead of the 2016 presidential election when Coney Barrett was a professor at Notre Dame. In addition to questioning trans rights, she also defended the Supreme Court justices who dissented in Obergefell v. Hodges, the landmark ruling on marriage equality. Burns also noted it seemed clear Coney Barrett does not support same-sex marriage. According to HRC, Coney Barrett has also misgendered transgender people, referring to trans women as physiological males while casting doubt on transgender rights. And this is another quote from Amy Coney Barrett. People will feel passionately on either side about whether physiological males who identify as females should be permitted in bathrooms, especially where there are young girls present. <sighs> Amy Coney Barrett likes to ensure that if Trump and the GOP attempt to steal the election, SCOTUS will not stop them, said one of those tweeting, transgender advocate and author of everything you wanted to know about trans but were afraid to ask, Bryn Tannehill. Her forthcoming next book is entitled <laughs> American Fascism, How the GOP Subverted 250 Years of Democracy. I don't even think the GOP has been around for 250 years. <laughs> oh, this stupid moron. Oh, goodness. I'm just going to write a book, and it's going to talk about the GOP for all time. Bunch of drama queens. Oh, my goodness. I mean, folks, I mean, let's face it. Some of this does kind of need to get cleaned up, right? If a man identifies as a woman, but there's minimal surgery involved, do they have the right to go into the women's bathroom? 
whether you agree with it or not, it does need to get to get cleared up. I mean, that's just the reality. Title IX, as she said, and I don't know why this is so, such hate speech to people, but the fact of the remains that when they put that law into place, no one was thinking about transgender rights. And so now we've got to fix that. But you can't fix it with these people because they only have, they're not willing to debate this. They just want to scream at people. And they figure if they can call you a transphobe long enough and loud enough, everyone is just going to buckle under and give them what they want. So I, I don't know what everyone's worried about. You know, Donald Trump does not go around talking about transgender rights and gay rights. And, and all they do is run around. And I know they do this. I know the, the the human rights campaigns and all the other professional gay organizations, they do this to rake in the money. They do, they scare the crap out of the LGBTQ plus community and to, to get campaign contributions or get donations to, 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 to fund their lavish lifestyles. You know, you're never going to make these people happy. Never going to make them happy. Oh, White Boy Malcolm X, this is the last gay story. I told you. It's not, it's not that robust a pile of stories, that's for sure. This is a New York Post article. Lesbian lovers allegedly killed dismembered man to steal inheritance. A pair of Portuguese lesbian lovers, inspired by the Showtime serial killer TV series Dexter, allegedly killed and hacked up a man chopping off his fingers to access his bank account and steal a more than $77,000 inheritance. Maria Malviero, 19, and her girlfriend Mariana Fonseca, 23, a nurse, are accused of murdering Diogo Goncalves, a 21-year-old hotel worker in Portugal earlier this year. God, I can't pronounce any of those names. The grisly details about Goncalves' killing emerge as prosecutors get ready to put Malviero and Fonseca on trial. Investigators say Goncalves was strangled on March 18th, and the two women allegedly cut off the, his fingers to gain access to his bank account from his cell phone, using his prints to swipe the cash, the Sun reported, citing Portuguese media. The women allegedly dismembered Goncalves and kept his head, forearms, hand, and feet for five days after murdering him and tossing his torso into the sea, according to the Sun. Hmm? Yes. Yes, they kept the head, the forearms, the hands, and the feet. But they got rid of the rest of them. I, I would love to know the reason why they did that. But I guess we'll probably not know that. They later threw the rest of his body parts into the sea after five days of doing whatever with them. From cliffs in the Algarve town of Sagres, the report said. Local media reported that the gruesome crime happened after Malviero seduced Goncalves. She allegedly took advantage of the fact that Goncalves was attracted to her in order to give him an orange juice laced with a sedative after promising him a, ooh, a lap dance at his home, report said. I got nothing on this one. <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. You got something? See, I told you. I got nothing. Let's get to the race stuff. That's always entertaining. This could have been you, white boy. <laughs> Birthday girl claims she was tased in crotch by aggressive New York Police Department cops. And if you don't know what a crotch is, folks, that's her vajayjay. Two New York... <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it's got to mean. I, mean. I can't think of anything else. Two New York Police Department cops wrestled a woman to the ground and tased her in the crotch while she was celebrating her birthday with a group of friends in the Lower East Side last year, a new lawsuit alleges. J. Denny Sargent claims in the suit that she was near Delancey Street and Clinton Street about 3 a.m., what did I tell you folks about nothing good comes after being being out after midnight? Last September, when a group of cops showed up and began questioning people of color. 
Well, that's a first. I thought groups of cops just went around and shot black people. But now they're just running around questioning them. So I guess, folks, there is some there is some improvement there. Sergeant then sarcastically told the cops to, quote, go protect the white people, unquote, according to the suit. <laughs> oh, my. She got a mouth on her. Two of the cops became incensed, the suit states, and grabbed Sergeant, pulling her sweatshirt over her head so that it choked her. One of the cops then pulled a taser, aimed it at Sergeant's crotch, and zapped her with it, the suit states. Once plaintiff was on the ground, the defendants placed her in handcuffs, the suit states. Could they say that anymore? The cops then loaded Sergeant into a police car and brought her to the precinct. At the station house, they determined she needed medical attention for the taser, which they put into her vajayjay, and then brought her to a hospital. The taser prongs were removed, but plaintiff was not provided any means of covering the puncture wounds and was thrown into a filthy cell overnight with open wounds. Charges against Sergeant were eventually dropped after the ordeal. This is another one I got. I mean, they're not only racist pigs now, folks, but they are racist, misogynistic pigs. And if you're a woman of color in New York City, you better get something to protect your JJ because you're going to get your, your you're going to get that thing tasered too. Connecticut sports anchor fired after calling Senator Tim Scott an Uncle Tom. An Emmy-nominated Connecticut sports anchor was fired this week after calling South Carolina Senator Tim Scott an Uncle Tom in a since-deleted tweet. News 12 Connecticut said in a statement on Wednesday that it had canned Fred Gertney as a result of a racially insensitive comment referring to a tweet from the reporter earlier that day responding to a story from The Hill. The website had tweeted a link to a story about Scott, the GOP's only black senator, saying that President Trump quote-unquote misspoke when he appeared to tell the Proud Boys, a violent right-wing extremist group, to stand back and stand by during Tuesday night's debate. I... This thing with the the Proud Boys, a, a violent right wing extremist group. I mean, at least first off, at least they don't they don't call them a white supremacist group, right? They, they finally figured out they got a guy. The, the chairman is this guy named Enrique Torrio Tario, something like that. So they're like, ah, crap! It's really hard to call. You got a Cuban white supremacist group. You really can't say that anymore. They finally they they can't get away with that big lie anymore, right? But they keep selling these violent right wing. I'm sorry, folks, but. You know, who's rioting in Portland for 100 days? It's not the Proud Boys. I can't think, I have yet to find a news story showing where the Proud Boys are rioting anywhere. I don't, they're violent right-wing extremist group. What about Antifa? You, you know, nobody wants to talk about what they're doing. Uh, they like to, you know, it's, it's this gaslighting. It's Antifa's the one burning down cities and, and rioting left and right, but they, they want to gaslight us into thinking it's it's Proud Boys out there running around. We got to worry about the, the Proud Boys, the white supremacist group with who accidentally let in uh, black and Latino members. Oh, crap. Question for you, White Boy Malcolm X. The media, whenever they mention Senator Tim Scott, they always have to point out that that he's the GOP's only black senator. And they do that, obviously. The reference is that the GOP is a bunch of racists. But quick quick quiz for you. How many black senators do the Democrats have? Oh, you're close. You are close. Two is the uh, the short answer. But you have Cory Booker and you have vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris. In there, she's a drama queen. Speaking of which, they both—well, actually, they both are. <laughs> Cory Booker, they Spartacus. He's a huge drama queen, but she's only half black. So while the GOP has one black senator, the Democrats really only have one point five. I don't know what the, I don't know what the bragging's about. It's not like you know they—they've got him packed in there. Anyway, picking back up on the article. Thanks, Uncle Tom. The reporter commented using the derogatory epithet for a person who betrays their own culture. Unlike me, who's Uncle Lindsay for betraying my culture. <laughs> 
In announcing Garrity's removal, the TV channel said it has a zero-tolerance policy for racism or improper conduct based on race and prides itself on being an objective and unbiased multi-platform news company. You know, White Boy Malcolm X, if, if this guy had worked at ESPN, he probably, he probably would have gotten a, a promotion. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to read this. this the, the headline is, what is a microaggression? 14 offensive phrases to avoid saying. And this is from Business Insider. And Business Insider is written by a bunch of dopey millennials who couldn't get hired at Fox. <laughs> no, seriously, they're the worst journalists. They do these articles from time to time. And I've, I've seen them on like my Apple News feed. And they have these articles like, you know, I flew American business class from San Francisco to Shanghai. And this is what I experienced. And this is news article. It's a literal blow-by-blow account of everything that they they experience and they're like it's like a coloring book it's like 50,000 pictures yeah you know, they they're at the check-in counter there's a picture of the check-in counter they went through the gate here's a picture of the gate they got on the they went to board the plane they here's a picture of the the, the jetway here's a picture of my seat here's a picture of all the amenities the little amenities packet here a picture of my socks here's a picture of the bathroom here's a picture of the food they literally describe it's like a paragraph in a picture and this is how dumb these people think <laughs> I think that's how dumb they are, but that's how dumb they think their audience is, that if they describe flying an American Airlines business class, that they need 50,000 pictures in the article to like show people that this, you know, they can't read, I guess, that they have to show them all the pictures. Anyway, let's, let's dig into this just, just briefly. I'm just going to touch on this one because this is so bad, it'll make your brain hurt at the end of the day. Recent protests over the killing of George Floyd have, so yes, of course, you got to mention George Floyd again, have sparked a nationwide conversation about racism in all areas of American life, including in the office. Prejudice, bias, and discrimination at work are a lot more common than many business leaders would like to admit. A survey by Glassdoor of 1,100 U.S. employees found that 61% of U.S. employees had witnessed or experienced workplace discrimination based on age, race, gender, or LGBTQ identity. Some of this plays out in the form of microaggressions or indirect, often unintentional expressions of racism, sexism, ageism, or ableism. They come out in seemingly innocuous comments by people who might be well-intentioned. From telling a new female worker that she looks like a student to asking a black colleague about her natural hair, microaggressions often exist in the workplace too, and they can make a workplace feel uncomfortable, unsafe, and <gasps> toxic. Because microaggressions are often communicated through language, it is very important to pay attention to how we talk, especially in the workplace and other social institutions like classrooms, courtrooms, and so on. Christine Mallinson, professor of language, literacy, and culture at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, told Business Insider. Because microaggressions are so subtle, it's often hard to know if you're committing one or if you're on the receiving end. One thing is that they are in a sense ambiguous, so that the recipient is apt to feel vaguely insulted, but since the words look and sound complimentary, on the surface they're most often positive, she can't rightly feel insulted and doesn't know how to respond, Robin Lackoff, Professor Emerita of Linguistics at the University of California, Berkeley, told Business Insider. Do you want to know, White Boy Malcolm? I'm not going to read this whole article, but I will give you, I will give you the, 10, the 14 offensive phrases to avoid saying. You're so articulate, is one. You're transgender? Wow, you don't look like it at all. <laughs> God. Oh, sorry, wrong person. Oh, you're gay? <laughs> you should meet my friend Anne. She's gay too. My boss is crazy. Where are you actually from? The way you overcome your disability is so <laughs> inspiring. 
Wow, mercy. Your name is so hard to pronounce. I think you're in the wrong room. This is the programmer's meeting. Do you even know what Snapchat is? Unfortunately, I do. Are you an intern? You look so young. Is that your real hair? And then there's one about interrupting, and then why do you wear that? Okay, I'm done. (laughs) My IQ dropped 10 points just reading a Business Insider story. Oh, speaking speaking of Vox... Why the term BIPOC is so complicated, explained by linguists. And BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, is that stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. There is no one-size-fits-all language when it comes to talking about race. Y'all know where the term women of color come from? Asked Loretta Ross, the co-founder of Sister Song Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective at a reproductive justice training hosted by the Western State Center in 2011. Can you imagine a meeting of Sister Song Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective? And, and what is reproductive justice? I mean, I know what reproductive rights are, but what is reproductive justice? I, I don't know either. The moment was documented on video in a clip that has traveled the internet with increasing speed since the, here we go again, George Floyd protests all across the U.S. reawakened a national conversation about race and racism. I think that, that line, that sentence, is in, they just drop that into every article. It's just right there. They just have it and they build the article around. doesn't matter what the article is about. They will build, they will build it around George Floyd protests, blah, 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 blah. After posing her rhetorical question to the audience, Ross went on to describe the alliance formed between different minority women's groups at a, the 1977 National Women's Conference in Houston. It was in those negotiations in Houston that the term women of color was created, Ross said. It is a solidarity definition, a commitment to work in collaboration with other oppressed women of color who have been minoritized. But Ross also explained that in the decades since those minority women's groups came together to form their alliance, the term women of color has been flattened and lost its political meaning. Unfortunately, so many times people of color hear the term people of color from other white people that they think white people created it, she said. Instead of understanding that we self-made ourselves, this is a term that has a lot of power for us. But we've done some poor-ass job of communicating that history so that his- people understand that power. White boy, Michael, it sounds to me like she's a little pissed off that, that she created this phrase and she thinks all the white people are stealing. Some cracker is culturally appropriating her saying people of color, women of color. The slippage Ross discussed in 2011, which is basically just white people appropriating her saying that she forgot to trademark in part of a familiar pattern when it comes to the language we use to talk about political oppression based on identity an in-group will develop a new label for itself as part of a way of talking about the experiences members of that group hold in common and then outgroups will begin to use that language in a flat unspecific way think about the term sexual harassment created to discuss a violent abuse of power which became boulderized over the decades They rob the language of its political power. This flattening does not necessarily stem from an active desire to do harm. Often it's rooted in a desire to be seen as quote-unquote not racist, or more broadly, as one of the good guys. Anxious and indiscriminate, and mostly white liberal speakers, (laughs) vaguely grasp that old terms like African-American, minority, and diverse are outdated, and that new terms like people of color and BIPOC are in. And so they begin to slot in the new terms for the old without thinking too much about how the new terms are different. 
This is anxiety over saying the wrong thing, says DeAndre Miles Hercules, a PhD linguistics student who focuses on sociocultural linguistic research on race, gender, and sexuality. I bet she's a joy to be around. And so instead of maybe doing a little research, understanding the history and the different semantic valences of a particular term to decide for yourself, or to understand the appropriateness of a use in a particular context, people generally go, tell me the word and I will use the word. They're not interested in learning things about the history of the term or the context in which it's appropriate. But Miles Hercules argues that while people may not intend harm when they use identity labels inaccurately, their inaccuracy is still harmful. People tune into this. What is the word? Do I call you African American? Do I call you black? What is the word that people are preferring these days? I know I can't call you Negro anymore, so just tell me the word so I can use it and we can go on from there, they say. But that lacks in nuance, and that lack of nuance is violence. <gasps> oh, dear God. I can't, I cannot not read any more of this. I mean, the worst part is how, to, for me, is, is just how serious, how literal these people are about this. I mean, this, this is what identity politics gets you. <laughs> White liberals. Oh, what, what should I call you? What, what is the most appropriate name for, for you? I want to be as, 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 a, uh, as, as, as politically correct as I can be. This is an AP story. Jury finds New Hampshire white nationalists guilty of rape threat. A self-proclaimed white nationalist who rose to prominence during a deadly 2017 rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, was found guilty Monday by a federal jury of threatening to rape the wife of a man who was part of a racist group he felt was harassing and bullying him. <sighs> Poor princess. Christopher Cantwell, a New Hampshire resident and radio host, was found guilty of extortion and threatening to injure property or reputation, but not guilty of cyberstalking related to a series of threats he made towards a Missouri man over the Telegram messaging app. He was arrested in January on federal charges and has pleaded not guilty. Cantwell faces up to 22 years in prison, damn, and will be sentenced January 4th. He will remain in Stratford County Jail. We are pleased that justice has been done and we're glad to have been vindicated, Assistant U.S. Attorney John Davis said after the verdict. Davis said he hoped that there would be a deterrent value in the conviction that might resonate among everyone on the Internet and the white nationalist world and other worlds where really abhorrent things are said. You have a right to free speech and there is a First Amendment, he said, but when you violate the regulate norms that apply, you can't threaten someone as part of an extortion attempt it isn't going to matter, even if it is in the white nationalist internet world. <laughs> you imagine that pack of crackers, white boy Malcolm X. Authorities say Cantwell used the Telegram messaging app to convey a threat last year that he would rape the man's wife if he didn't give up information about the leader of a white supremacist group of which the man was a member, authorities said. The Associated Press is not naming the man to protect the identity of his wife. Cantwell is also accused of threatening to expose the man's identity and warning you will lose everything you have if he didn't provide the personal details about the leader of the Bowl Patrol. The group's name was inspired by the haircut of Dylan Roof, who was sentenced to death for fatally shooting nine black church members during a Bible study session in Charleston, South Carolina. Jesus, these are these stupid Nazi drama queens. 
22 years, though. I mean, my only point on this, good. I mean, I'm not going to justify what he did. Don't get me wrong. But I'm looking at this and going 22 years in in prison. I mean, they're not even prosecuting those Antifa thugs in in Portland. And they're actually burning and looting and doing all sorts of stuff. I mean, how many years, if any, are the Antifa thugs who have attached police officers going to get? Nothing. They're not going to get any jail time. And we had this guy. All he did was he threatened to rape another man's wife. He's probably just talking whatever his Nazi BS is. And we had the story last week, I believe, White Boy Malcolm X, about the four Amish boys that raped their 12-year-old sister for, for quite some time. The two of them were legal adults. They actually were doing some raping, and they got her pregnant, and they're not doing any jail time. And this guy says, I'm going to rape your wife on, on some stupid internet chat room, and they're going to put this guy in jail for 22 years. And you wonder why people complain about <laughs> the justice system. You can actually rape someone and not do any jail time, and then you can threaten to rape someone's wife who lives like halfway across the country. You're probably never going to get in the car and bother to deal with it in the first place, and you're going to go to jail for, for over two decades. Stanford University offered sessions on how to end racial terror last month, an event spread across several sessions that partly discussed how it's nearly impossible to think outside of white supremacy. Reverend Lince Pinkard and Nicola Torbett spoke every Monday in August at an event titled Sitting with the Trouble, Spiritual Tools for Ending the Racial Terror that was organized by the university's Office of Religious Life, according to Campus Reform, a project spearheaded by the Conservative Leadership Institute that reports on supposed liberal biases on college campuses. There's nothing supposed about that. The four-week event ran from August 3rd through August 24th. My boy Malcolm X looks like we missed a really good time on the Stanford campus. White supremacy so permeates our institutions, policies, practices, and ways of knowing that it is nearly impossible to think outside it, the event description reads. The prosaic solutions of governing bodies do virtually nothing, often less than nothing, to mitigate the everyday ongoing devastation. Pinkert is a black writer, and that's capital B Black, and teacher who focuses on decolonizing the human spirit and is dedicated to inspiring a new generation of spirit-filled servant leaders dedicated to the remediation of day-to-day suffering, the event reads. Torbett, who is white, is a spiritual seeker and racial podcaster. (laughs) We keep this up, White by Malcolm X. I'm going to be a racial podcaster, too. Committed to helping other white people recognize their own trauma and discontent as catalysts for the dismantling of systems oppression that are killing us all. Killing black and brown people first. Well, who cares about white people getting killed? You know, I, I scan this whole thing, and I still, I still do not know what what racial terrorists. Now I now I guess I got to guess. I mean, what what could be racial? You know what white boy Malcolm X could be racial terror? All the white people rioting at Black Lives Matter protests. <laughs> that that uh, that nutty. That nutty ginger chick in New York with their friends, the, the the one that you thought was hot, right? I mean, they rioted for, what, two miles? They went up the street, two miles up the street, rioting. I mean, that that technically could be racial racial terror. Um, what else could be racial terror? John Boyega, whatever his last name is, the, 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 the token black guy on Star Wars who screamed about Star Wars being being racist. I mean... That could be racial terror, the lack of a story arc for a, you know, a, a kind of a secondary character. That technically could be could be racial terror as well. And, of course, 
You know what racial terror is, folks? I'll give you the perfect example of racial terror. Picture it. Michelle Obama. And if you don't know who Michelle Obama is, she is the former first lady of the United States. She is the first black first lady of the United States. And because of the oppressiveness of the white system, she is forced to live in a multi-million dollar house on Martha's Vineyard. That's how horrible it is. But, but folks, racial terror to Michelle Obama is when she got cut off in line. <laughs> I'm not making this up, folks. She got cut off in line. A white woman wanted ice cream as well and got in front of Michelle Obama, stepped in front of her, cut in line, and Michelle Obama <laughs> is not having... She is gonna, she's going to bring that up every chance she gets. So that... That, that is technically racial terror, where a white woman took her white privilege on Martha's Vineyard and cut in line in front of Michelle Obama. <sighs> Goodness. I, seriously, the worst part about this is, and all these articles, is how serious these folks are <laughs> about, about this. I mean, this Torbit white person with the racial, the racial, the white racial podcaster committed to helping other white people recognize their own trauma and disconnect as catalysts for the dismantling of systems of oppression, blah, 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 blah. They seriously believe that. They, this, they are humorless. <laughs> Absolutely humorless. Okay, last race story. Pennsylvania College removes thin blue line coronavirus masks after critics call them offensive. A Pennsylvania college removed thin blue line coronavirus face masks from its campus bookstore last month after receiving complaints from students and the school's multicultural office, with one staff member linking the symbol to white supremacy and the alt-right. Well, certainly not the Proud Boys. <laughs> you know what, white, 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 Max, you know the students are. The students are hysterical white Generation Z women. And the school's multicultural office is just a bunch of hysterical white millennial women. <laughs> because we know the people leading leading BLM are a bunch of white women. I, I don't even know how this thing got there in the first place. I mean, as, as rigid as campuses are these days, how indoctrinated these kids are. I mean, I can't believe someone A, ordered it, B, someone opened the box and didn't, didn't scream and go nuts for seeing this symbol of hate. I mean, I mean, look at the uh, the Harry Potter bookstore, the the bookstore in Perth, Australia, the, the ass end of the ass end of nowhere that banned the Harry Potter books. They're complaining about opening the boxes and having to look at these, you know, the no trigger warning on the box to say that there are Harry Potter books inside. These poor students opening this opening this thing up and they got the, the Blue Lives Matter face masks. Heavens. Mullenberg's College Office of Multicultural Life, which is, again, filled with a bunch of hysterical millennial white women said it was notified by multiple students, who are the hysterical white Generation Z women, on August 14th that the college's bookstore was selling American flag masks with black, white, and blue colors, along with the label, tactical U.S. flag with police blue line. <gasps> the thin blue line flags are associated with pro-police Blue Lives Matter movement and usually displayed to convey support for law enforcement and first responders. And if you don't know who law enforcement and first responders are, they're just a bunch of racist pigs. Mullenberg College's Office of Multicultural Life said it was outraged and deeply offended that the bookstore was selling thin blue line masks and immediately called for the removal of this offensive display. I bet. The office said it contacted Mullenberg College President Catherine Herring and Dean Allison Galati, and the masks were removed from the store within 30 minutes of them being notified. Really? It took them 30 minutes? <laughs> I don't know about you, white boy Malcolm X, but that sounds like a little bit of a microaggression for them to kind of sit on that for 30 minutes. 
this is this is the college campus for you these days. This is these uh, hysterical, you know, you can't have anything. God forbid they actually have a real American flag. I mean, the Blue Lives Matter flag. I mean, everyone knows that's a bunch of racists. Okay, then. Speaking of millennials, this is a Forbes story. Millennials need structured flexibility. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, office culture and policy varied depending on industry and city. For the millennial worker, there was a growing trend towards flexibility and working cultures of open communication, unlimited vacation, and other work perks, including snacks and game rooms. COVID-19 changed the way we worked forever. No longer tied to a city due to the physical location of the office, people have fled to get more space and comfort during an uncertain time. As we move towards reopening, organizations need to be mindful of delivering consistent, clear, and transparent messaging around the future of office attendance and the choices they are giving their employees. Millennials crave flexibility, but need structure to feel secure that they are doing the right thing. Likewise, clarity and planning will ensure retention of staff, work productivity, and overall employee satisfaction, particularly when people are assessing how remote working can work for them in their life longer term. You know, these kids just... (laughs) They need to grow the, you know, whatever up already. The F up, as, as they would normally say. I mean, seriously, the men, millennial men, are nothing but a bunch of wimpy pajama boys. And the women are just a bunch of hysterical activists. And we got to worry about their, I need structure, but I also need flexibility. Grow up. New York woman accused of using six kids to steal Trump lawn signs. A woman was arrested Sunday for allegedly using six kids to steal Trump campaign lawn signs from numerous sites in upstate New York, a report said. Deanna Algorin, 45, was busted with the signs in her car by the New York State Police on Highway 103 in Montgomery County, Fox News reported, citing the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office. Algorin was charged with six counts of endangering the welfare of a child, no doubt because she forced them to touch racist Trump signs, criminal possession of stolen property, Petty larceny and marijuana possession, police said. No, apparently there there was no meth, white boy Malcolm X. She was also slapped with two citations for seatbelt violations, adding insult to injury. So she got the marijuana, but no meth, apparently, endangering the welfare of a child and the seatbelts. It's unclear. Here's the kicker, white boy Malcolm X. It's unclear if Algorin was related to any of the children. Can you see this dopey chick? Look at this chick. Seriously, look at her. Yeah, she definitely likes the buffet line. Can you see her giving these kids their marching orders? Okay, you see those signs? Go get, go get me the Trump signs. Don't, don't get the Biden signs. Get me the Trump signs. Good God. You know, we just had the story at the, at the opening of the show, and it was the, the Harry Potter story about the game, and there was WB Games president David Hadid, who was talking about how he didn't necessarily agree with her, but she had the right to speak out. And I was like, in what world is that possible? Especially with the trans community, but it it goes for leftists in general. So when I read this story, you can kind of understand how naive David is in thinking that people have the right to think what they want to think in today's world. American cyclists suspended from team over so-called divisive tweet supporting Trump. The one-word tweet was apparently enough to get him sidelined. An American professional cyclist was suspended from his team Thursday after showing support for President Trump in a seemingly benign social media tiff. Trek Segafredo suspended Quinn Simmons for what the team called divisive comments on his personal Twitter account. Let's find out what he said. 
Simmons, 19. <laughs> he's 19, white boy Malcolm. Look at that. Yeah, now he doesn't look like he, kid looks like he's like almost 30. Reacted to a tweet from Dutch journalist Jose Ben, in which she said she hoped for her American friends that, quote, this horrible presidency ends for you, unquote, adding, if you follow me and support Trump, you can go. Well, there's the tolerance of the left. Simmons reported to Ben saying bye with a dark skinned hand emoji waving. Her tweet was later deleted. A separate Twitter user wrote that Simmons was, quote unquote, apparently a Trumper. He wrote back, that's right, with an American flag emoji. <laughs> Racist. Czech Segafredo then put out a statement suspending Simmons until further notice. Regrettably, team writer Quinn Simmons made statements online that we feel are <gasps> divisive, incendiary, and detrimental to the team, professional cycling, its fans, and the positive future we hope to help create for the sport the team wrote. He will not be racing for Trek Segafredo until further notice. In response to the suspension, Ben wrote that she felt horrible about it and that she wouldn't have wanted Simmons to be suspended. Liar. <laughs> she is She is a she's damn lying. There is a purity test. Seriously, what did he do? What did he do? He just said he, was, he supported Trump. Didn't say anything else. I support Trump. They threw his ass off the team because he's divisive and incendiary and it's just going to upset all the pajama boys on the team. It's going to upset the whole sport of professional cycling. It's going to traumatize the fans. And it's just not going to contribute to a positive future. Unless you want to say that you wish Trump dead, and now that he's got coronavirus, you can probably do it more. Um, it's, it's considered divisive. Poor kid. All he said was that he you know, supports Trump. Seriously, Rachel Maddow, who I could care less about, but I was doom scrolling earlier today just to kind of see any story about stories. And... There was one I didn't bother to print out, but she said something to the effect of, you know, if you pray, you know, pray for Trump's recovery or something and nothing, nothing nasty. And she caught a lot of flack about it. She, I guess she was being divisive. OK, moving on. Next article. And this is from Big Think. In 2020, more men and women are likely to consider sex with a robot. Would you ever have sex with a robot? And white boy Malcolm X, would you, would you ever have sex with a robot? You would, oh. Now, who? Oh. Oh, okay. So you would have sex with a robot. Let me just make sure I have this right. You would have sex with a robot if it looked like Matt Loria, as you said, Matt Loria from Kingdom. And if you don't know what Kingdom is, folks, it's, it's this MMA kickboxing boxing show on Netflix with a bunch of shirtless hunky guys. And it's got one of the the Jonas Brothers in there or something. So, and I, Matt Laurie is not him. Which one? That, okay, that's the one I thought he was. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to judge that. A Bustle article. <laughs> I'm not going to judge it. I just, I, I don't know if I would, I would say no to that, right? A Bustle article published in April 2020, weeks after COVID-19 was declared a pandemic, explored the drastic boost in the sex tech industry. According to the research, Dame Products, a popular sex toy retailer, experienced a 30% increase in sales between the months of February to April, and the popular sexual wellness brand Unbound reported selling twice as many toys as normal in this period. While the new coronavirus was crashing the economy in other ways, the sex tech industry was one of the few that actually saw improvements, likely due to people all over the world being advised, encouraged, and in some instances, forced to stay at home. 
And I'm not going to read it, but the next section of the article is entitled The Evolution of Sex Tech from Stone Dildos to Artificial Intelligence. And I'm, it literally goes through everything, and I'm not going to bother to read it. But did you know, White Boy Mac makes that a 28,000-year-old siltstone dildo was uncovered in Germany back in 2005? Yes, the <laughs> the Germans, before they were Germans, had a really, I guess, a 28,000-year-old dildo. In 2020, more than one in five Americans, 22%, said they would consider having sex with a robot. YouGov conducted a study in February 2020 that compared results from a similar study in 2017. According to the results, 6% more people in 2020 are comfortable with the idea of having sex with a robot than in 2017. YouGov points out that the increase in consideration is particularly significant among American adults between the ages of 18 to 34. <laughs> Oh, Gen Z and millennials who you didn't think had sex with anyone, but I guess they will have sex with everyone. <laughs> All right. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Florida, man. I love these Floridian stories. My God, it's like one big trailer Florida, man, arrested after allegedly hitting deputy in face with a Bible. Well, good for him. I mean, everyone, the deputy's a racist anyway. A Florida man was arrested last Tuesday after he allegedly threw a Bible at a sheriff's deputy, according to reports. Authorities were called to a residence in Summerfield, which is northwest of Orlando, on September 22nd, after a neighbor reported a break-in at his home. Deputies said when they arrived, they found Robert Otis Hoskins, 39, dressed in his underwear, shouting something to the effect, I condemn you. They said he threw a Bible that hit a deputy in the face. Hoskin was tased and taken into custody, and I hope they did not tase him in his crotch like they did that other woman in New York. Following a brief struggle, Orlando WKMGTV reported. The arrest record said that the suspect defecated on himself at the scene. This is a poop story, too. We had, what, two poop stories last week, and now I've got another inadvertent poop story. This guy pooped himself right there, right there on the scene. A deputy wrote in the report that the suspect was asked why he broke into the home, and he replied, because God told me to. Authorities said there was damage to a door at the neighbor's residence, and a window had been broken. The alleged victim's wife said $50 of clothing was stolen. I wonder if he pooped in that. She also told deputies that the suspect had a drug problem. The arrest report said, that's got crystal meth written all over it. This is from the Charlotte Observer. Man caught hiding in 15-year-old's closet had been there for weeks, Florida deputies say. And this, folks, this is the perfect story. Are you ready for this? A Louisiana man. <laughs> so, yes, it involves Louisiana and Florida. <laughs> it's the perfect story. A Louisiana man accused of hiding in a 15-year-old's bedroom and assaulting her on several occasions had been there for more than a month, according to Florida authorities. Hernando County Sheriff's deputies arrested Jonathan Rossmoyne, 36, on Sunday after the teen's parents found him hiding at their Spring Hill home in their daughter's bedroom. Rossmoyne is now charged with numerous sex crimes after admitting to deputies that he had made multiple trips from Louisiana to Spring Hill to have sex with the teen, the Sheriff's Department wrote on Facebook. On this latest trip, deputies say Rossmoyne had been in Hernando County about five weeks before he was caught. The victim's parents were tipped off when they heard noises coming from the girl's bedroom, Fox 13 reported. He and the young lady came up with the idea that he could just stay in her room if he hid in the closet whenever the parents came in, Hernando County Sheriff's Office. Detective Tom Cameron told Fox 13. They kept the bedroom door closed and locked. 
Investigators said Rossmoyne had been living on and off in the teen's room since August 19th and would only come out when the parents left for work. Deputies say Rossmoyne also admitted to having numerous sexual encounters in his van, which was parked near the victim's house down by the river. Mercy. That, see, I told you that. That is the perfect story. Speaking of underage sex, God, every week, here's another one. Wisconsin school worker jailed for exposing herself to student. A former Wisconsin school staffer accused of sexually abusing a 16-year-old student was sentenced to six months in jail with a judge brandishing her the nightmare of every parent. Courtney Rosnowski, 32, pleaded no contest to one count of exposing intimate parts to a child under a plea deal that saw the most serious charge of sexual assault dropped, WLUK-TV reported. You are, frankly, the nightmare of every parent, the judge railed during Friday sentencing, because what a parent assumes is that their child is in a safe environment with trusting people. Mm-mm, not in this day and age, because those teachers are banging those students left and right. She admitted to starting a sexual relationship with a student in July 2019 after acting as his mentor, according to the police report. The boy confirmed he had two sexual encounters with Rosnowski, who allegedly told him he was special and deserved special things. Kind of like the woman that told the boy she was banging that he had a bigger, you know, Johnson than her husband. <laughs> he also told detectives, well, it's every kid's dream to do a teacher, <laughs> according to the report. <laughs> oh, Mercy. Well, not Anthony Rapp, folks. And if you don't know who Anthony Rapp is, he's the guy that ruined House of Cards. And he was also on that very gay TV show, Star Trek Discovery. I actually feel bad for Kevin Spacey at this point. I really do. I, I do. I feel, I feel bad for the guy. He's literally the only person out there who hit on a teenager and didn't get lucky. I mean, he, he didn't even get to first base with Anthony Rapp. And he has lost his career. And Anthony is going to sue him into oblivion. And every other teenage boy is bebopping their way <laughs> through every cougar out there. I mean, Courtney is 32, and the other one was, what, in her 40s. They're banging these kids left and right, and no one says anything. And Gavin was, what, 26 hits on the other hits on Anthony. There was like a 12-year age difference. It doesn't get to first base, and, and his life is ruined over it. Last story, and then we're out of here. New Jersey cops get nearly 2.5 million payout for alleged dildo harassment. <laughs> it's one of those sex stories we were just talking about. A New Jersey borough will pay out nearly 2.5 million to a handful of cops who were allegedly harassed for more than a decade with a large dildo the post has learned. This is a New York Post story. The payout settles a lawsuit filed in 2018 by five officers and a part-time employee of the Mountainside Police Department who alleged police brass and municipal officials allowed the harassing, inappropriate, and illegal conduct by the sex toy, dubbed Big Blue. Borough officials approved the $2.45 million settlement on September 18th to be split among the six employees, and I'm not going to name them, and their attorney. The group of police employees claims in the suit that at least one of the officers was tortured by the internal affairs officer, Andrew Huber, with the dildo on an almost daily basis. <laughs> So internal affairs is the one running around with the dildo. <laughs> Hubert would wave around Big Blue, throw it within the detective bureau, and throw it at people walking past the detective bureau, the complaint reads. In one instance, Hubert hit a dispatcher in the face with a sex toy as Officer Thomas Murphy filmed the incident and teased the man, saying, What's it smell like? And I hope it doesn't smell like what I think it smells like, the complaint reads. The leadership of the small department of fewer than two dozen cops allegedly knew of the dildo debauchery that started in 2007 and 2008, the complaint says. 
Police brass even went as far as bringing in an attorney to help explain to cops the issues surrounding their use of the sex toy, according to the complaint. But the primary dildo wielder, Huber, scoffed at the training and left the room, according to the complaint. <laughs> what man, white by bag of bags, would run around work with a big dildo? A queen, you think? I just... <laughs> I, I think someone with some seriously repressed sexual issues. <laughs> and on that note, we're out of here. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us at the Miller Frost Show. Again, I am Miller Frost, America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual, and I'm still Uncle Lindsay. You can reach me at my email address, miller at millerfrostonline.com. Have a great uh, end to your weekend and a great start to your week. And we look forward to having you back joining us next Sunday. Take care. Whether you're buying a new car or used one, it's a big investment, which is why you should choose Pennzoil Platinum. It helps extend the life of your engine and protect it up to 15 years or 500,000 miles, whichever comes first, guaranteed. That's because Pennzoil's base oil is made from natural gas and 99.5% free from engine clogging impurities. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Enrollment required? Keep your receipts. Other conditions apply? See Pennzoil.com warranty for full details. Find it at Firestone Complete Auto Care.